This is your good friend Benny at the Business of Comedy. As always, I want to thank our good friend D Rex for the opening track, Quarterback. You can find D Rex at domosaurusrex.com. That's D O M O S O U R U S R E X.com. And you can find the Business of Comedy at the bizofcom.com. That's B I Z O F C O M.com. Now, let's get to work. Hey, this is your good friend Benny on The Business of Comedy, and today I'm really excited to be interviewing the great comedian Kevin Lee. You've seen him all over the country. He's been on HBO. He's open for Wanda Sykes. He's over for Gladys Knight. Uh, he's been on Last Comic Standing. He opens. A, he owns a comedy club up in Poughkeepsie, New York, called uh, Carmen, Carmine's Comedy Club. And you can find his website is www.kevinleecomedy.com. You can find him on Instagram at Kevin Lee Magic. You can find him on Twitter at Kevin Lee 102 and you can see him performing all over the place. He's going to be uh, at the Borgata coming up in Atlantic City uh, February 5th through the 9th. It's a big, giant 900-seat room uh, coming up, and he's going to be performing at his own club in Poughkeepsie on the 11th. Uh, so, Kevin, I'm so grateful to have you. Thanks for joining us. Well, man, I'm glad to be here, man. Just send your check directly to – no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> 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 yeah, I mean, brother. I'm doing great, man. I, I can't tell you how much I've looked forward to this and, and how excited I am and how much I've enjoyed our back and forth and, and everything that, that I've learned about you so far and what I'm looking forward to learning today, man. So, you know, we were talking in the pre-interview and, and one of the, the things that sounds great, you know, just tell me how you got started because you had a great story you were kind of getting into, but I, I apologize for cutting you off. I wanted to get it on tape. Tell me about that first time you walked into a comedy club all the, you know, those years ago. I was already a performer, you know, I was like this birthday party clown and magician and so forth, working, uh, you know, that circuit, and uh, a friend of mine invited me down to a comedy club uh, for an open mic, and I went down to this open mic, and then I saw there was going to be a comedy competition in a couple of weeks, so I came back and, and you know, enrolled into that comedy competition, and I won first place. Um, I got my little plastic trophy saying first place for Kevin Lee, uh, and, you know, that was the biggest day in the world for me, you know, to get a trophy for, you know, making people yeah. laugh, man, back in those days, man. And, uh, <laughs> but the main thing was I, I had a lot of people, you know, a lot of comics who never didn't know who I was. I came out to Woodwork, you know, who was this guy coming here juggling a hatchet and eating an apple? And, you know, <laughs> I got a lot of flack from, um, from a lot of guys, man, who, you know, didn't like me and they thought I was some sort of, guy that you know who is this guy you know and um you know and so yeah i didn't have a lot of friends early on in the comedy uh industry in dc in the dc area where i grew up man uh but the end of the story is i'm friends with a lot of those guys now uh and you know been lifelong friends with these guys for over 20 years some of these same guys who looked at me like who is this guy who just came here and won this comedy competition so that's amazing. But it sounds like you were a polished performer, like even before you went in. You said you'd been performing, but for folks who don't know you or haven't got to see you on HBO or, you know, opening for any of those folks or seeing you on Last Comic Standing or the other places, describe your act because it's a little different than a traditional comedian. You mentioned the juggling, but maybe just give people a background on what you do yeah. and the kind yeah. of show you do. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, um, I'm a, I'm a magician and a comedian and a, and a juggler. So it's basically, I call it uh, modern day vaudeville. You know, back in the old days, uh, W. C. Fields and all those guys. Back, I went, you know, back in the old vaudeville days, and you know, these guys used to perform all sorts of things. They come out, they sing, they tell a joke, they juggle, they tell a joke. You know, it was always not just you know entertainment. Now, you know, sort of everybody's. I'm a singer. You know, I mean, but back in the day, remember guys like the Rat Pack? They never called themselves singer. 
dancers or comedians, but they did it all, you know. I mean, Sammy Davis Jr. was an awesome entertainer, you know. He would dance, right. sing, tell jokes. You know, you go to a Sammy Davis Jr. show or a Frank Sinatra show and, and see those guys on stage, you're going to see a little bit of everything. You know, they're going to have their one-liners, and they're going to have their jokes. So I'm a, I'm a comedian first. I, I love making people laugh more than anything in the whole world, you know. And, and, but I, I, I'm also a professional magician and a juggler. So it's all put together, the comedy, the magic, and the juggling, you know, is all one big show. Um, some of the guys who have been very successful at it that people do know are the pen and tellers of the world, you know, um, guys like that, or, you know. Um, uh, and, of course, guys like the amazing Jonathan, who's real popular over the years, and, and you know. Um, so there's guys out there who do what I do, of course, and are very successful at it, you know. Uh, but yeah, I'm I am a comedian who uses magic and juggling to do and, and props, you know, like a carrot top sort of thing or Gallagher, whatever the case may be. You know, I throw in props and gags and, and magic and juggling. So it's a full show. You get a little bit of everything when you come see Kevin Lee. It's fire eating, it's music, you know, it's uh you know I mean I'm escape from a straitjacket while to James Brown music, you know, or you know, I'm eating fire to Michael Jackson. <laughs> Show, man. It's a Vegas show, you know. Um, so I'm gonna chat that's so, fire and moonwalking, you know. <laughs> so it's a crazy show. But, <laughs> but, but, does, but does your does your does your comedy show. revolve around the the magic, or is it is it uh, yeah, separate or is it, around, it you know basically I work the comedy club circuit because I'm a comedian, you know. I'm a comedian, right? So you come to see a comedian. Uh, um, so. But there's going to be magic in there, and yes, the magic is funny, you know, um, and and the comedy and, and the juggling is funny, you know, uh, juggling a, a running chainsaw, you know, <laughs> in my show, but <laughs> it's funny, you know, a bowling ball that's lit on fire, you know, it's a crazy show. So, but it's all funny. It's everything you will laugh from the moment I walk on stage to the moment I walk off stage. And there's only one part of my show that's serious and. Um, the audience loves it. They rave about it. And it is the Michael Jackson bit I do on stage. Um, it's the only thing where I put real emphasis on, you know, dramatic, you know. So you'll sit through an hour of my show and you have that three-minute Michael Jackson bit that's a serious right. piece, of, uh, serious piece of, of entertainment, you know, that doesn't involve laughter, you know. But the audience loves it. They go crazy for it, you know, so. Well, no, I mean, it sounds like you 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 jam a lot of different stuff in the in the an hour, hour and fifteen minutes, man. I, I can't wait to see it. So, Kevin, that's an interesting question that you brought up, and I'm I'm fascinated to get your perspective on it. You said you take things which might not typically be funny, right, magic or juggling, and then you build comedy around it. Is there a process you go through to do that, or how do you think about taking? Okay, well, I'm going to juggle these things. That's interesting unto itself, but how do I make that funny or entertaining? Is how do you, is there a strategy? Does it happen organically? How do you how do you make I, it? I make it happen organically because I, I believe that you know once you're funny, you're funny. You know, uh, so right. when you're funny, you can make anything funny. I had a comedian once. Uh, I won't mention the name. Uh, a successful comedian who used to joke with me that he would take my bag of tricks, you know, and I wouldn't be funny, you know. He, gag me like that all the time. Oh, oh, hide your tricks. Oh, hide your bag from you. Then what are you going to do, you know? Um, so, right. you know, he, he meant it in a joking way, but it also his way of, of, of trying to just say, hey, you're not as talented as the other guys because you need those props to be funny. The truth is, it takes a lot of talent to make props funny. You know, it's been a yeah. big debate of prop comics versus monologists over the years. Uh, and prop comics getting the bad end of the stick because monologists seem to think that because they can sit with a pad and pen and write a joke and go up and tell a story and some guy comes on stage and he's been he's banging a bag of tricks that he may have put together at home or some stuff he brought out of Toys R Us, all of a sudden he's not as talented as the guy who wrote the pad and pen. I'm here to tell you that's BS because I challenge anybody to go to Kmart or Toys R Us and buy a, 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 a truck full of uh, toys and then walk up on stage in front of a thousand people and make them roar with laughter, you know? So it is yeah. an art and it does take skill and it does take practice and it does take, you have to be creative to, uh, to come up with this stuff. So, I mean, I could be anywhere, you know, I could be walking to a yard sale and see a prop and go, Hey, that's pretty cool. And I'll buy it. 
And sometimes this stuff sits in my I got stuff sitting in my closet for years because I bought it because I thought I could use it for something, and I end up not using it. And then I'll pull it out for something, and it end up in my show, end up being a very funny part of my show. So you, just, you never know. But yeah, I go into a magic shop, and I'll buy a magic trick, you know, um, and then I'll take it on stage. And a lot of it starts out as improv. I'll go up on stage and. My personality takes over because I'm a naturally funny guy. And then I'll come up with something, you know, a line or, or something like that. I go, wow, I got a big laugh. So I'll keep that in the show. Next thing you know, it's a part of my show every night, you know. So um, a lot of it's, you know, thought out. Some of it's thought out and some of it's improv. A lot of it is stuff that happens in the middle of your show. My show involves the audience. So I'm, it's a very audience um, interactive show. You know, if you're in my audience, you're going to be a part of the show. <laughs> uh, right. I always joke I always joke with my Kevin Lee fans, people that follow me on social media and whatever the case. I go, you survived the front row of a Kevin Lee show because it's a roller coaster ride, you know. It's a fun roller coaster <laughs> ride, but it's a roller coaster ride. I mean, it's nonstop, 100% energy roller coaster ride of in-your-face comedy. Um, I used to build myself as the Don Rickles of magic, you know, and anybody ever see Don Rickles, he's one of those guys who comes at you, he's in your face, you know, and I'm that type of guy. I'm that Don Rickles of magic. I'm in your face. You know, it's a, it's an in your face show. It's a, it's a roller coaster ride. So it's a crazy show. It's full of surprises and, 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 and amazing stuff. You're going to see a brother doing something you don't see a lot, you know, you know, yeah. Uh, Are there places where people can where people can see like little clips? Do you ever post stuff to YouTube, or I guess yeah, you can go look it on, on your specials YouTube. or stuff? Or? There's stuff on YouTube. You know, I don't post stuff on YouTube, uh, but there people have posted stuff on YouTube. You know, uh, there's a clip on my website. Uh, there is things on YouTube people can go see. You know, I don't. And that website is Kevin Kevin Lee Comedy, right? KevinLeeComedy.com. People can go find that. And look at. Yeah, and um, okay. yeah, so we. Some of the old clips, you know, I was on BET's Comic View for, you know, I did five seasons of BET's Comic View when that was popular. I was on the original Deaf Comedy Jam on HBO back when Martin Lawrence was hosting it back in the day when that was the biggest show in the world. And, uh, right. you know, clips are, who knows where those clips are. Uh, BET never gave permission to people to put their stuff on YouTube. So you won't see a lot of Comic View clips on YouTube, you know. Yeah. Uh, but you know, and, you know, Kevin, it's it's, it's a funny point here because you're you're naming off all these great things, which I want to get to and get to in a lot of detail. But it's interesting because we've talked about a lot of success you had. But I mean, you, this wasn't all easy, man. It didn't. It, it, I know because you told me earlier. It didn't start out like, oh, I did one show and all of a sudden I'm I'm on TV. What what was the middle part like? How, you know, what did you have to do to get from the beginning to where you started doing those bigger shows? I'll tell you the weird thing, man. That's a good question. But the weird thing is. It, it, it's always been a struggle, man, and 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 even with the success, it's still a struggle because the business, the industry is just nuts, man. <laughs> it's a nutty industry. I had a friend a couple of years ago that was in a movie, and I talked to another yeah. guy in L.A., and he go, yeah, this guy's sleeping on my sofa. I'm, I won't mention these guys' names. <laughs> yeah. He's got these guys on my couch. I go, he's on your couch? He was just in a, in a major movie. <laughs> what are you doing sleeping on your couch? You know, so, I mean. So there's a misconception. You see guys in movies, you see guys on television, and you get this, you know, the illusion to the to the public is this guy is, is, is living the life of rally. This guy, uh, you know, is, is doing it big because he's on TV. You can see guys on TV, and they're still sleeping on their mom's couch or in the basement, you know, because that's how crazy this industry is, you know. Uh, but my success um, has been up and down, you know. There was the um, – the years before Death Comedy Jam, when I was headlining comedy clubs during the comedy club boom back in the 80s and early 90s, and comedy clubs were so popular, and the college circuit was out of control. And I was traveling all over the country working comedy clubs and colleges at 20-something, 22, 23 years old. I was making a lot of money, you know, a lot. And I was spending right. it all on sports cars, sports cars and girls, you know. Because <laughs> I, I, I didn't never thought that the money would stop. I'm thinking I'm just going to continue to rise, you know. And then it did stop. And I'll tell you when it stopped. I performed on HBO's Deaf Comedy Jam. And what happened was, and I don't talk about this much, the circuit became segregated at that time. You know, what happened was a lot of the guys 
who were on Def Comedy Jam were already mm-hmm. what we call maybe Chitlin Searching Comics, uh, the Bernie Macs of the world. These guys were underground guys who were working, you know, the black clubs in Chicago or working, mm-hmm. you know, the so-called Chitlin Circuit, whatever the case may be. They weren't mainstream guys, you know. Uh, Def Jam made them mainstream guys. They became big stars at the Def Jam and, and moved into the mainstream media. Def, you know, Bernie Mac. It went for Def Jam. Bernie Mac probably would never have gotten the break that he got. God bless him. Uh, very nice guy, by the way. Um, but, um, but yeah, um, but these guys were already around working this, this underground circuit, you know, and Def Jam put them yeah, you out said it, You said it became segregated at that point. What, what do you mean by that? I mean, the, the comedy club owners, the industries, all of a sudden realized, because it became a boom, you know, mm-hmm. it became a boom with black people. Comedy became, because before Def Jam, me being a comedy club headliner, I can count on one hand how many times I've seen African-Americans in comedy clubs. My audience is oh, really? always, always almost 99% or 100% white. And this mm-hmm. all throughout the 80s, comedy clubs were at its peak. You know, comedy clubs were always, basically, my audiences were always white. And I traveled all over the country performing. It wasn't until after Deaf Comedy Jam that black people started coming out to comedy clubs. But what the owners didn't want was Deaf Jam comedians on their Friday and Saturday nights. So they started doing Deaf Jam nights. So they would take an off night, like a Thursday or a Sunday or a Wednesday, this is the mainstream uh, comedy bringing uh, the Def Jam shows on a Thursday night, and they would sell the place out. But it would be okay. Def Jam comedians, guys from Def Jam. But you're, comedy not, you're not getting the, you're not getting the Saturday night money now. Um, in some cases, you were paid decent at first. Yeah. Oh, when the Def Jam first hit, yeah, you're being paid very well, but you still were being pushed into a category as a Def Jam comic. You know, you weren't put into a category as a comedian. You're a Def Jam comic, which means you're not allowed to perform on Saturday night with the white guys. <laughs> you're not allowed to perform right. on Saturday Friday night with the white guys. You're a Def Jam comic. We got to give you your own night so we can bring out all the African-Americans who normally don't come to comedy clubs, and they're going to come out and see you on Def Jam night. So the money wasn't bad. You're pretty, I mean, I can remember being paid pretty decent. Uh, I made a lot of money for being on Def Jam, and I'm one of the guys who – didn't become a household name because of Def Comedy Jam. But mm-hmm. I did make a lot of money from being a product of that show. You know, uh, there were Def Jam shows everywhere. When it first came, the show was so huge that everybody was starting to do Def Jam shows. All these promoters would grab three or four guys that were on Def Jam and go, hey, we're going on a tour, and we're going to call it uh, So-and-So's Comedy Jam. And we were selling out right. big venues. You know, selling out everywhere. We go places to sell out. We went over to Bahamas and over to, uh, where we go, to uh, Bermuda, and we're selling out. Let me tell you how powerful Def Jam was. Uh, this is a true story. I talk about this in my book, and we'll talk about that later. I was on a plane going to, flying over to Bermuda, and a white teenager recognized me from Def Comedy Jam. That's how powerful Def Comedy Jam was, you know, because everybody watched no it. Kidding. White people, and white people loved it. Same, same way yeah. white people watch grew up watching the Jeffersons and, and, and Good Times. They watched Def Comedy Jam, too. <laughs> you know? Hey, hey before, got, before you made that switch to, to, to Def Comedy Jam, because this is an interesting topic. I, I've done some shows or open mics where it's been, you know, predominantly black people, and I'll be one of the few white people in there. And then I did something a couple of weeks ago where I was absolutely the only white person in this entire place, right? right? And again, my, I'm not performing anywhere near at the level that you're talking about, but you know, it's me and 50 or 60 other black people. And, and it was fine. I mean, it was great. It was a great experience for me. It was a really good set. I really enjoyed it, but it was definitely very present in my mind. I am the only white person here, right? And is that meaningful? Is it not meaningful? Does it matter? Does it not matter? Do they care? Should I act different or the same? And, and so I, you know, I did what I could and I think it went well, but, uh, how did that play in when you were doing those, you know, you're a black comic in a whole white club. Did that enter into your mind at all? Was that part of working through it? Did you come up with strategies to, to deal with no, that? Or, it's the complete no? opposite, friend. It's the complete opposite. This is going to floor you right okay. here. Most okay. black comedians, especially guys my age, who's been doing it since the 80s and grew up in the white comedy club circuit, uh, or I should just say the comedy, that's the white comedy club circuit, just the comedy club circuit that just happens to be uh, a mainstream circuit, you know. 
we actually were uncomfortable working the black nights. I mean, we would go really to a club in Washington D.C. You, you club that used to be in Washington D.C. used to call it used to be named the Ibex. It was a legendary uh, black disco club called the Ibex or, or, or dance club, I should say, uh, where uh, a lot of black artists would come play there. To, you know, a lot of the old school guys, the Delphonics, who are still around, and and Chuck Brown and all these guys and, and the Ohio players and and and, and, all, and all these type of acts would perform there. But they had a comedy night where the comedians would go up and perform in front of these artists. And it was like the Apollo of Washington, D.C. we go up and we wow. get booed, and it was crazy. No matter how funny you were, you're going to get booed probably at the, I mean, at uh-huh. the Ibex. So, so, and these were, you know, so we knew that, you know, um, that what, what we were going, going into. So we were happy to be at the mainstream rooms because we knew we could go up and do our show, <laughs> and it wasn't going to be no problem. You know, we'll get to the right. Ibex. We knew we had know how, how funny we are we had to work so hard to keep the audience's attention and and keep them from not being booing us but it made us also better performers you know it made us better at our craft you know i don't understand you know why it's that way uh and i talk about this also and i have no regrets about it i performed on showtime at the apollo i was a guest on the apollo uh, a professional guest i didn't do the showtime amateur thing i was actually a professional guest paid guests to come on to Showtime with the Apollo and perform. I'm very honored to be on that show. I'm very honored to walk across the stage that so many legends' feet have been on. My problem is, because I'm never a fan of that booing thing. I think it's ruined right. the African-American audience from really loving, uh, I'm trying to find the right words for this, because I think it puts in their head that booing is okay, and it's not okay. Even if a person is not a good performer, booing's not okay, you know, especially on an amateur night. First, you don't boo professionals because these people are professionals and they make their living at this. And you don't boo amateurs because they're amateurs and they're not going to be the best singers or the best comedians or the best, you know, whatever. That's why they're called amateurs. They're people that are working on their craft. So when you open up that door to boo these people and then all the African-Americans who watch Showtime at the Apollo Go, okay, so that's what we do when we don't like comedy. So they come out to a comedy club, and if they don't like you, they boo you. So, I mean, it's just not right, and I think that was the wrong message for And I know it's a tradition with Showtime at Apollo, but I don't give a rat's ass, so, man. Did you, did you come? I mean, but it's a good – well, you said something interesting. You said, hey, that helped make me a better performer. And for a lot of folks who, again, are not as established as, as you are, probably back earlier in your career, right? I mean, all of us got these stories about doing – you know, sets where there's four, five comedians in the back of a bar and, you know, we're trying to work over the crowd or, or work over. Did you come up with any strategies for uh, dealing with a rowdy crowd or dealing with a loud crowd or dealing with a crowd that wasn't necessarily yeah. focused just on you? How, my, do you? how do you do that? My strategy was simple. This was simply this. I'm going to make you guys intimidated before you make me intimidated. So I would take to the mic with so much high energy and so much in your face that it basically intimidated them from messing with me. I'll give you a perfect example. Uh, growing up, <laughs> we used to walk past this, this fence in my neighborhood. There was a dog that always would run to the front of the yard and bark at everybody, and they used to run. But the truth is, if you walk past that fence and you, that dog can sense if you were scared of him, and if he knew you weren't right. scared of him, he wouldn't run towards that fence. And that's the same thing with African-American audiences. You have to come out and let them know you're not afraid of them. And that's the old famous line that Bernie Mac used on Def Comedy Jam that basically shot him to stardom is, I'm not scared of you, mother, you know what, you know? Remember <laughs> uh, that line? I'm not scared of you, mother. Because the guy that came on before him was booed. Right. And And... So Bernie came out, and it wasn't part of his show. It was just off the top of his head coming out and saying, I'm not scared of you, mother, you know, efforts. And it was so funny the way he did it that it shot him into some sort of stardom, you know. And that was one of the most memorable sets on Def Comedy Jam was I'm not scared of you, mother. You know, it became a a Mm -hmm. household thing. I'm not scared of you, mother. But that came from the guy getting booed before him, you know. Um, So you have to... Somehow, 
you know, I don't know why, I don't have the answer for it, but with African-American audiences, you have to have a different approach, you know. I mean, with the, I would say the younger crowd, you know. I mean, you'd be surprised. I perform in front of all sorts of crowds. I've been in front of everybody you can think of, you know. And um, African-American audiences are very challenging, man. You know, they, they can be very challenging. But then again, they can be the best audiences in the world. I've had some of the best oh, yeah. in my life in front of African-American crowds, man, you know. Um I remember opening up. I'll tell you, they, they, they're willing. They're willing to come out, right? They're willing to come out to the show. Oh yeah, and they, you know, they want to be entertained. They want to be entertained, and they don't play, you know. But I just I don't agree with the booing thing. I think that's uh, degrading uh, to an artist to do that of any level, you know. Um, so I, I disagree with that whole booing thing with the Showtime at the Apollo tradition, uh, okay. the, the tradition of booing people. But uh, but I had a great set on the, on, the, on the show, by the way. They loved me on Showtime at the Apollo, so I kicked that. No, I'm, sure, anyway. they, I'm <laughs> sure they did. <laughs> I'm not surprised. You said something earlier, though, that I want to I go back to. You said, you know, I'd brand myself as, you know, the hardest working guy in show business, and you said I'd brand myself as this or whatever. Your brand as a, as a comedian or as a performer or as, as a vaudevillian or whatever you want. You, you mentioned a vaudevillian earlier. Did did that happen, you know, just over time it developed, or did you sit down and say, I'm going to be this kind of performer, and I'm going to look this way and focus on this kind of material? Or how did your act become your act? And then, you know, uh it starts with role models, role, man. You have to find okay. – me, it worked with finding people that I admired in the industry. Like I said, uh, I admired some guys like the Rat Pack, Sammy Davis Jr. and all those guys. Uh, to this day, mm-hmm. I don't walk on stage without wearing a fedora, and that comes from Frank Sinatra wearing a fedora. Mm-hmm. That had nothing to do with comedy, you know? <laughs> so um, uh, you'll see a lot of – great legends on stage in my act, you know, Sammy Davis Jr. is a big influence on me. I used to sit and watch him perform, the way he moved, the way, he, you know, it almost like what Michael Jackson used to do, while his brothers used to run out and chase girls, Michael Jackson stayed backstage and looked on the side of the curtains and watched Jackie Wilson perform, you know, and watched James Brown perform. And that's why he became Michael Jackson, you know, and that's why the Jacksons became the Jacksons, right? <laughs> so... Uh, you got to be a student, man. You got to be a student, not just with comedians. I mean, comedians can, you can love Eddie Murphy back in the 80s or, or Richard Pryor or, or, or whatever the case may be. Those guys might be your idols or even today, the Dave Chappelle's and Martin Lawrence and, and all these guys. You look up to these guys, you know, and, and, and Bill Bellamy, whatever, whoever floats your boat, man. But you have to be a student of, of, of show business, period. You know, I, I was watching uh, in my hotel room watching videos. The other day uh, on YouTube, I was just watching um, uh, some new edition videos, man. Uh, and I was just watching uh, Johnny Gill sing a song, man. And I was just watching him sing. But while I was watching him, I was taking in his energy uh, of his performance, man. It was so spectacular that I was, I was just taking in what he was doing. And I was like, man, this, this motivates me to be a better performer on stage because I'm an entertainer. It's all about entertainment. You know, so you have to be a student. And I learned from singers. I learned from dancers. I'm well-rounded, man. It's, you know, I listen to everything, you know, all sorts of comedians. I listen to all sorts of singers. Uh, I tweeted something the other day. I said, I've got to be the only brother. Uh, I left my hotel to go out and get something to eat. I was in North Carolina. I said, i got to be the only brother in the whole country right now blasting Kenny Rogers in his, in his whip right now, you know. <laughs> so, <laughs> you, know, you know, I have to be. I can't imagine no other black man. Blasting Kenny Rogers in his car, you know. Well, you you <laughs> so, remember what song you know, it was? Was it the Was it the Gambler? Nah, man, it was uh, one of his slow cuts. Man, what was it? Uh, oh man, I can't even remember what the song it was. But one of his slow cuts. Man, I love Lucille. Maybe Lucille. No, the one he did. The one he did with the girl, man. He got to do it with uh, what's her name? Um, not Linda Ronstadt. Was the one he did to do it with the, with the other girl? Uh, Kim Carnes. Okay. He did. He did do it with Kim Carnes. <laughs> it, was, it was actually in somebody's movie, I think, but um. I'm blasting the song. I love it, man. It's a beautiful tune, man. You know? And I said to my brother, blasting. I mean, I had, I had to back him up like I was listening to, to Tupac, you know? It's so funny yeah. because I actually listened to Tupac right after that song because that song's on my, uh, on my, on my, on my, on my uh, Spotify, you know? So I got that song mm-hmm. downloaded. So I listened to that. And then after that went off, I listened to Tupac. <laughs> so I went to Tupac. 
I don't want to lose a track of what you say because this is a critical thing. I, I saw uh, Andrew Dice Clay was being interviewed about comedy, and, and he wasn't being funny, right? He was really talking about how he became who he was. And he said, you know, before I was a comedian, I was a actor or a performer, did performance art. And when I came to comedy, I said, I'm not going to just stand there and tell jokes. I'm going to create this character and I'm going to do a show. And the way I move and the way I stand and the faces I make and my tone and my dress, you know, I'm going to be a one man show right from the beginning. And he, 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 and he told a story and it, it, arguably, you know, like him, hate him, whatever. I think he's funny as hell and you got to respect his accomplishments. But he, uh, he said, you know, Chris Rock was walking off the stage and, he, and again, I, I, if I'm misquoting the story, please forgive me, but I think it was Chris Rock. He said, you know, Chris was getting ready to do the big show that was his exploding show. And he said, you've got to move, right? You're not moving enough around. You're not, you're not being like dynamic. And he said he took him aside in a friendly way, in a respectful way, but, but that in his mind, and I think that Chris Rock had later said to him, um, if it wasn't Chris Rock, again, forgive me, if it was somebody else, it was some huge mega star came back and said that was a big turning point, right? Because I went from standing there telling jokes to performing. And that's what I hear you saying as well. Yeah, definitely, man. And I mean that, man. I, 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 I tell that to all the young comics that I talk to and everyone that will hear this interview if you're a young comic out there or, or a seasoned comic, man. It's, it's all about entertaining. And, 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 yeah, it's okay. I mean, there's some guys who have that, that stand there and, and tell one-liners, and those are those guys who do that. But, in most cases, if you're a comic man, you know, you got to bring the energy and you got to bring the body movement. With my show, there's body movement. There's, you know, one thing I get a lot of compliments on over and over again is facial expressions. I have some people come up to me and go, man, I love your facial expressions. Oh, your eyes, the way they, they bug out. Oh, your facial expressions. I get so many compliments on my facial expressions. I love it because I work, I don't work, I don't, I'm about to say I work hard on my facial expressions. It's natural, but now that I know it's a tool, now I know it's a tool of mine on stage. The facial expressions are used a lot, you know. Cause it's another tool, you know. Uh, do you use them? Do you use them to punctuate, like a punchline, a punchline, or how do you use them? You know, if you were to think I mean, about I, it I, I, purposely, I use them. Uh, I use them that way. I use them uh, sometimes in an intimidating way. If somebody says something, uh, I use them when somebody somebody do something stupid, uh, or uh, you know, uh, let's say I'm, you know. When I pull out the uh, one of my meat cleavers to juggle, I, my eyes get real big. You know, people in the front mm-hmm. row are laughing. Like, you know. So I mean, it's all different ways you can use your facial expressions, and I, I use I use them a lot, man. So the facial expressions, it's just a natural thing too. It just comes natural now with me on stage with the facial expressions. You know, um, uh, you look at some of the comedians like Rodney Dangerfield, for example. He used a lot of facial expressions, and his eyes were all over the place. You know. And uh, the funny faces and, and the frowns and, and, and his eyes getting big and, and stuff like that, you know. You got to learn from these guys, you know. I mean, not, not use their jokes, but just watch these guys and, and learn from their, their their energy, you know, and their, their body language and so forth and, 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 um, and watch what they're doing because these guys are successful, you know. And you have to learn from people. You, you, you said earlier you, one of the ways you use a facial expression is to um... – if somebody says something stupid and we talked earlier about, you know, getting booed or whatever. And, and this is something I've actually never asked somebody about before. And I'm fascinated by it. Uh, I'm fascinated why I haven't asked, but do you have any strategies for hecklers or people who interrupt your show or try to interject the show, whether it's malicious or they think they're helping or being funny or whatever? Cause that's something I've, I actually have never asked anybody in any of these interviews. And I don't know why it never came to mind until now, but you know, you, obviously you've dealt with that. How, how do you deal with those situations? Well, it's an individual thing. Unfortunately, I can't help other comedians in this situation because right. everybody's style is different. That's like asking a boxer how he's going to block a punch when everybody's a different type of boxer, you know. So it's the same thing with comedy, you know. Yeah, we're all going to get out hecklers or, or whatever. Uh, I'll tell you something funny happened in North Carolina this past weekend. Uh, at the comedy zone there, this lady was heckling me, and she stood up <clears throat> and – she comes to walk towards the stage because <laughs> I asked her to come on stage to help me out one of my routines. And she stood up and started coming towards the stage. I think within three steps, she fell over sideways because she was <laughs> that drunk. 
funniest thing, and I've been doing this for a long time, man. I got a lot of shows on my belt, hundreds. <laughs> that was one of the funniest things. As a matter of fact, the doorman who's been working at that comic club for 14 years said to me that's one of the funniest moments he's ever seen in 14 years he's been at that door. It was so funny. <laughs> and my response to it was, was funny because when she fell on the floor, I fell, I mimicked her and fell on, on the floor on the stage. And it, you just had to see it to be there. But it was crazy. But uh, and her boyfriend ran and, and grabbed her, you know, and, and make sure she was okay. Thank God she didn't get hurt. You know, she could have hit her head, and it could have been tragedy, you know. But she was that wasted that she stood up and just fell over to the side. Those type of moments, you know, <laughs> it's priceless. That's not going to happen every time somebody's talking shit to you on stage, you know. But that was priceless. Man. And it wasn't recorded, I regret, but it was priceless moment uh, for both of us probably. But. <laughs> um, me being a prop guy and and a guy who has a a, a, a suitcase with meat cleavers inside of it, there's so many mm-hmm. options I have when people heckle me. You know, um, I have a rubber hammer that looks like a real hammer. You know, so mm-hmm. this part of my show, I pour that thing out and throw at a guy. You know, and, and so it freaks the audience out because they think it's a real hammer, but it's made out of rubber. But I'm just saying, it's so many different things I can do to deal with hecklers that a regular stand-up guy couldn't do because I'm a prop guy, sure. you know. So, right, um, right, 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 right. I recommend, I recommend everybody learn how to deal with prop comics. I mean, I mean, how to, I'm sorry, how to deal with hecklers because somewhere in your life you're going to get one probably. Uh, but if you best to find a way to avoid it uh, because if you're getting heckled and you don't know how to deal with it, it can hurt you and it can hurt your, your you know, your performance. Um, right. The best strategy is experience, though. You know, once you've been on the stage enough times, you, you know, dealing with a heckler is basically going to be something that comes, you know, probably just come natural. But there are stock jokes, like what we call stock joke heckler lines that people use, you know. So some of the newer comics maybe want to grab a stock joke. And I don't really always recommend to new guys to get involved with stock jokes. But if you can get one to put it to your repertoire, Keep in your back pocket just in case you get a heckler, then that will help sometimes, you know. Um, so I, I don't use stock jokes uh, when I deal with hecklers because I have my own repertoire uh, of, of things to say to hecklers, you know, that are mm-hmm. my things, that my way of dealing with hecklers. But there are a lot of great lines out there that are now considered stock jokes in the industry that guys can use, uh, you know, you know, like I said, grab one or two. Keep them in your back pocket, you know. You ever need them, you know? Put it out and, and get in somebody's ass, you know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> Do you ever watch that show? Uh, it was uh, Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh, no, I do not. Have you ever seen that on HBO? There's some guy. I mean, he's a comedian. I, I, unfortunately, I don't know his name either. But he had this whole line about you know you gotta you gotta get in their ass. You gotta pull in. Like open it up, step in, throw around some candy wrappers, walk out, shut the door, <laughs> and it's like. Right. <laughs> Sorry. I haven't seen that. Probably not a good, not a good telling. But if you can ever go find it, it was one of the funniest things I've ever seen somebody say. Um, so you, yeah, you uh, yeah. So you, I mean, you've been at this, and you've seen people come up and go down, and people's fortunes rise and fall, and, and whatever. What are some of the things that you've seen derail somebody who you think has talent or ability or or, or promise? You know, what are the what are the things or the mistakes that you see comedians make that to get their career off track? Uh, one is um, trying to, you know, my whole thing, one is your ego. And, and we need ego to do this. Don't get it twisted, man. We need to have some sort of ego to survive in this thing. We're constantly being beat down. Performers are constantly being beat down, taken advantage of, uh, and, and so forth, you know. Uh, just watch the new edition miniseries on BT. And I think the first two episodes were about how much mu- millions of dollars these guys were robbed of, of teenagers. They were robbed of millions of dollars by the industry, you know, millions of dollars. But people that they trusted. Was that, uh, was that Maurice, Maurice Starr? Was that the guy? I believe so, yes. Uh, yeah, they robbed these guys some sort of bad, man, out of millions of dollars, man, early on in their career. So, yes, I mean, so we're constantly being beat up on in this industry at all levels, you know. Um, but so ego is important because 
it, 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 you know, but you have to control your ego. I've seen egos destroy guys. I've seen guys with talent, young unknown comics with potential and talent. They had so much ego uh, that they thought their shit didn't stink, and they got put in their place real quickly. And like I said, I won't mention names. I just know guys, man, who just, you know, you have to know when to execute the ego, man. You know, um, I have a major ego. I mean, it's huge. I don't even know how I can fit in this house right now that I'm sitting in. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> I, take that ego, I take that ego on the stage with me, and I use it to entertain my crowd. You know, behind closed doors, I understand I'm still in the game. I'm still in the struggle. I still have goals to achieve. I still have a long way to go, no matter what my resume looks like, you know. And um, I know this industry. I've done my homework. I know what's out there. I know, you know, um, what I'm up against. So I think guys need to understand that. You got to do, you do your homework. You know, these young guys out here don't do their homework, man. You know, everybody just thinks that, you know, it's it's mine for the taking because I can get on stage at some club, you know. You got to do your homework. You got to, you know, learn the business. You know, you got to understand that this is a business. It's called show business. That's a compound word, you know. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's show and, business. And, and our, yeah, and our so interview hard. is called the business of comedy, right? Because I agree with you. Right, exactly. And it, and it is a business, man. If you don't run it like a business, I just was talking to a friend of mine this morning, and we're talking about a comedian that he wanted me to book. And then I found out this guy don't have a website. You need a website. McDonald's have a website. <laughs> Pepsi has a website. <laughs> Coca-Cola has a website. Oprah has a website. And they're billionaires, right? How right. come Kevin Lee doesn't have a website? You know what I'm saying? So we all need websites. You can't run a business. Kevin, Kevin, Kevin Lee does have a website. It's KevinLeeComedy.com, exactly. right? That's, Where you can, that's you can my see videos and, and yeah. Exactly. By you gotta, you gotta, you gotta, Kevin, so you got to think about that. You know, if you turn on right. TV during the Super Bowl, you'll see somebody like a, 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 you know, a popular company, you know, like Samsung running an a ad. You know, Samsung is a billion dollar industry, but they're still going to have an ad running on Super Bowl Sunday. They're going to spend millions to get that ad running. You never stop promoting right. yourself. You never stop. You know, it's a business, so you have to promote yourself. You know, I'm doing this interview today for promotion. I like you, Benny, but this is about promotion. <laughs> you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, <laughs> this is absolutely. This, yeah. this interview is business, you know. It is. It's business for you and it's business for me. That's why we're doing this interview. Yes, we're friends. We know each other. We like each other. We respect each other. But this is business, you know, because I know that this is going to be played to a lot of ears, and you never know who's listening, you know. You never know who's watching. You always got to be on, you know. Even when I walk out the house to go to the to the grocery store, if I just have on some jeans and a T-shirt, I'm still going to be well-groomed because I'm always in the realm of I'm a performer and I have to be that guy 24-7. You know, when I'm You're always the heart, brand, right? You're always the brand yeah, every, exactly. every, every, every day. Brand. Every that's the perfect yeah. word I'm going to talk about. That's the only brand on display yeah. in public. To, to, that, to that point, because you, you – uh, how how do you promote yourself, right? Obviously, you do this interview. I've seen you do other interviews. Obviously, you get a lot of exposure from the TV and the specials. But what are the things that you do that maybe are more accessible to a newer person or a person who's trying to get their name out? I know, you know you're massive on social media, right? I, mean, I see on Twitter and I see you on Facebook. But what do you do? Well, that is it right there, dude. I'm going to tell you, man. Um, that's the game changer. Because now, when I, you know, when I started, of course, there was no – no Twitter and Facebook and social media, you know. Um, and so we had to go out and grind and, 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 and hit the clubs and, and, and self-promote and run up our phone bill before long distance. We just run up the phone bill, man. I, my mom, I used to get in trouble with my mom because she used to get that phone bill, and I have 40 long-distance calls on there. A lot of people don't even remember that we used to have long-distance calls because <laughs> a lot of people now have cell phones, you know. <laughs> but back in the 90s, there was long-distance calls. <laughs> you know, you were charged for calling California. You were charged for calling New York. I used to run my mother's phone bill up calling New York to try to get a booking, you know. And um, But a lot of people don't know that, don't remember that was days because they weren't around. What long-distance? What's that, you know? Because <laughs> they pick up your cell phone and call anybody, you know? But um, so um, promotion, man, 
social media is 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 a is a is a gift right now uh to the to the to the industry and and the new guys especially um and the old guys you know take advantage of it i had bookers when i moved to new york almost 8 years ago i had i started a social media uh facebook has just started getting really popular you know first it was myspace was the thing then facebook took over i was on facebook so much putting up my posters and my flyers and pictures and everything. I actually had bookers that booked me that never even seen my show just because they thought, man, this guy is hot. This guy is, who is this guy? I tell him on Facebook, mm-hmm. I see him with a group of people smiling at him or, or, or whatever. Who is this? You know, I got people that booked me strictly just because they saw me on Facebook, never even see my act. So yeah, I took advantage of social media and I continue to because it is, the new way, you know, you know, she finds talent all the time and put on her show just because she sees somebody on YouTube. Ellen DeGeneres is on YouTube and she sees some kids doing a dance act or something and they end up on her show, you know. So that could never happen 25 years ago, you know. So, yeah, social media is a major, major advantage that people have to, to put themselves out there and they need to take advantage of it, you know. Um, so that's my best advice on that, you know. So that's the way Get out on the, the social media, be active. Do you have any kind of strategies on social media? I mean, I know, again, I know you're active. That's how you and I met, right? You know, I just saw yeah, you were coming exactly. to Greensboro, and I said, I, I know people there I'd like to introduce you to and try to help you get the word out for the show. Um, but are there that's other things exactly. that you do? Uh, I don't believe in overexposure. I believe you have to, you know, People are gonna forget you if you don't if you let them forget you. Like I just said, nobody knows who McDonald's is. They're still gonna spend that million dollars for that Super Bowl commercial, right? And who right. doesn't know who McDonald's? Who doesn't know who Starbucks is? But they're still gonna spend that million dollars for that commercial. So you gotta be in the people's face. You cannot give them a a, a a moment to breathe. So if you're on social media, use your social media. I told one of my young comedy buddies, who I talk to all the time, I say, man, you work in these comedy clubs. But you don't even put on Facebook that you perform at this comedy club. I mean, you wouldn't be, you'd be surprised how many other bookers are watching you. You know, they're out there watching you. You know, they know you, you gotta, you have to promote yourself because they are watching you. Even when they don't say nothing, you know, you don't, you might not have a booker like your post. That don't mean he doesn't see it. You know. <laughs> so, well, and 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 so, and you so, said earlier this is a business and. To me, a business is driving attendance, which drives revenue, right? How do you drive revenue and attendance? You do that through promotion, getting out there, putting asses in seats. So when people see that you're willing to do that, they go, well, this guy is going to help me accomplish my objective, which is filling up the club and making money, right? Yeah. It's a a fan base. um, A lot of of unknown comics who aren't household names might have a fan fan base. I know a a, a lady, a female comic – out of North Carolina, she has a fan base because what she did was she started a mailing list, you know, and people love her show. So now whenever she goes somewhere, she sends out an email saying, hey, I'm going to be in so-and-so North Carolina uh, next month. And people come out to see her because she has a, she started this mailing list 10 years ago that's now have, you know, now it has, you know, 15,000 people on it. I'm, uh, you know, I'm speculating, you know, but, oh, wow. but, but that, is what it takes, you know. That was smart of her. I wish I'd have did it, and I, I didn't do it. I didn't start knowing this, and I wish I would have because I got so many people. But now I have people that follow me. I have people that follow me on Facebook that saw me at the Bagada two years ago, that are coming to see me when I start there this Sunday coming up, because they saw me there two years ago, and they've been waiting for me to come back, and they've been following me on Facebook, and I post on Facebook. I'm be at the Bagada in Atlantic City. And first thing I see, I'll be there. <laughs> you know, somebody that saw me there two years ago. So you have to, you know, first of all, have a product that people want to continue to support and see. And that goes back to perfecting your craft and being good at it because you can be the best businessman in the world. You know, but if your hamburger sucks, they're only going to buy it once. <laughs> so, so you have to have a product that people want to eat, again, you know? <laughs> Yeah. So, so, so listen. We're we're coming up on the end of our time, but there's one more thing I want to want to ask you about, that, and I, I regret 
not um, doing this sooner, but obviously you got so many good stories and, and hopefully we'll do this again at some point. We'll get to the rest, the rest <laughs> of it. But um, you had mentioned, uh, well, obviously not mentioned, you own a club, right? Do you book yes. for the club yourself or do you, um, do you have someone else book the other comedians? Um, I do some of the booking. Uh, when I first started the club, I was doing probably all of the booking, but my schedule, um, you know, I'm like an octopus, man. I've been pulled in all directions, man, you know. Right. Kept so how do, you, how do you decide who, who to book and who not to book, or what's the process they go through? Or how do you, you know, you just well, have Tony out there. Yes, and me and Tony go way back. I mean, I've been knowing Tony. Me and Tony are both products of Washington, D.C. comedy. I've been knowing Tony sure. Woods since, uh, well, Tony has a cool story, actually. And Tony would tell you this. I was the first comedian he ever seen live. Tony oh, was wow. in the military. Tony was in the military and came to a place called a comedy cafe, and he walked in with his buddies. He wasn't even a comedian at the time. When he walked in, I was on stage. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so he, he to this day, Kevin Lee, the first live comedian I've ever seen perform live was Kevin Lee. He walked to a comedy club. I was on stage. It was his first time in a comedy club. He wasn't even a comedian performer at the time. Yeah. <laughs> so you learn a little bit every day. <laughs> So that's a true story. But, yeah, um, so me and Tony go way back. And uh, I remember him as an open micer when he first started. And, and then he's gone on to be, you know, the great performer in Tony Woods that he is, man. Um, that's the second time he's been up to my club. But, you know, I book, you know, basically I've, I've been in the industry for so long, I know what's out there. You know, I know comedians. I know the good comedians. I know the headliners. I know the feature guys. I know the MCs. I know basically what's out there because I've been in this thing for so long, you know. So, and there's guys I don't know, and they submit tapes and, and, and videos and things like that, and YouTube links, and, you know, they email me or whatever the case may be, but, you know, and then I'll look at it, and if, you know, I like it, then I go, yeah, man, we like that. We think that'll work well. And a lot of guys, sometimes being a booker is not a good thing, especially when you're a performer, because you lose friends, because sometimes your friend or your buddy may not be right for your audience. Then you got to tell somebody that you've known for 20 years, Man, you're not gonna do right in my club, man, because it don't. What you do don't work with my audience. Now you got right. a beef, <laughs> you know. So I've been in those shoes, man, where I've, I've had to turn down actual friends from working my club because, man, what you do doesn't work. Look, Bob Hope is not gonna rock a Def Jam audience, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> and, and 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 Bernie Mac probably wouldn't rock a Bob Hope audience, you know. So unfortunately, you know. Me, I try to be a comic for everybody. You can put me in front of uh, a, a quick story. I was over in Japan and working a military base in Okinawa, and all the uh, the staff there, not, most of them didn't know that much English, loved my show. <laughs> so I can work anywhere. You know, I've worked in front of senior citizens uh, uh, in, in their 80s, and, and they loved me. And I worked in front of young African-Americans, and they love me. And I work in front of rednecks, and they love me. So my act works everywhere. But every comic's act doesn't work everywhere. And I try to tell guys, be as universal as you can when you're putting your material together, because in order to eat in this business, you have to learn to play everywhere, because you never know. You know, when I open up for Gladys Knight, believe it or not, Gladys Knight's audience is mostly white. <laughs> so you walk out okay. on that stage. Yeah, you walk out on that stage, in front of 80% white people, and your act is geared towards the hip-hop audience, you know, <laughs> you're in trouble. So be universal when you write your material. Your job is to make everybody laugh, not just blacks, not just whites, not just Asians, not just, you know, everybody needs to laugh when you're on stage, you know. And you ever seen the old clips of Richard Pryor? You look at that crowd, old, old clips of Red Fox. Look at the crowd. Yeah. It was most white people. Black people were wasn't allowed or had the money to go into those Vegas to see Red Fox back in the day. You know, it was mostly white people that paid to go see Red Fox in the Vegas casinos back in the seventies. Well, black people in that audience, but Red Fox was on, you know, <laughs> but uh, so, you know, a lot of people don't realize that, you know, but I mean, the biggest hip hop comic of, 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 of the nineties was Martin Lawrence. And you went to a Martin Lawrence show and I've been to some, um, cause my buddy was his opening act and we go to Martin Lawrence. It was mostly, what? White people. And Martin Lawrence was the, the, the king of hip-hop comedy at one point because of Def Jam. But his audience was mostly white when you went to see him in concert. 
So, you know, you got to learn to work everybody, man. You just can't go on stage and, 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 and have this attitude that, oh, yeah, I'm, I'm here to entertain this dude. This, you know, you got to entertain everybody, man. I think I got off subject a little bit. My bad. but <laughs> No, no. I mean, I think it's all good points. But, but to come back to what you said, you said you know a lot of the people, right? So you know what their act is like or what their act isn't like. And you know what yeah, your crowd is like at your, at your club, right? But what are the things that you look for? Are you looking for somebody that will perform to um, – you know, a high energy comic, a low energy comic, somebody that will promote, somebody that will. I mean, what are we the things that you? Yeah. I mean, I'll be mean, funny. It's funny, man. I mean, Tony Woods is a low energy comic. You know, Tony Woods is not high energy at all. You know, um, but he's funny as hell. You know, but he's a low energy yeah. comic, and he works well with my crowd. They love him. You know, I have high energy comics. You know, I've had. You know, so you, I mean, you know, we had some of the legends in there. You know, some of the old school guys, Bob Nelson from way back in the day, all these guys, you know. Um, so we've, we have a little bit of everybody. We, got, we actually got Todd Bridges coming in uh, in a few weeks. Uh, from, actually, we got from, to meet uh, Todd Bridges, Todd Bridges from uh, different strokes. Really? Yeah. Yeah, Todd Bridges I, is I doing comedy. He, did. I didn't he know was that. a comedian. Oh. Yeah, a lot of guys, you know, Jimmy Walker is coming in. Jim, all these guys are comics. You know, a lot, you know, a lot of these guys got TV shows back in the day. But a lot of these guys, you know, I mean, Walker was a big comic before he got on Good Times, you know. Um, a lot of people don't know that, you know, but yeah, I mean, so the top bridges did his comedy at the different strokes. He got into the comedy industry and was doing stand up. He did some more acting jobs. He went to his, his trials and tribulations or whatever, but he's back doing stand up and working the circuit right now, man, you know, and he's, and he's good. You know, he's funny. Good for him. And right. yeah, good for him, man. Yeah, he's funny, man. So he's out doing his thing, man. Um, um, so yeah, I mean, you know, um, so we book a little bit of everybody, man, you know, I book just if you're funny, you're funny, man. You know, and um, but it's it's not a um, it's not a you know if you, for example, if you bring your own audience type of comic, like we have a guy um, out of New York uh, named Talent. He's a you know uh, a Talent's a big New York comic, king of New York comedy. You know, but Talent has his own crowd that comes and see him. You know, so if I book Talent in my show. In my in my club, he's gonna promote himself to his audience, and he has his own audience that comes out to see him, you know, that love him, you know. Um, but talent is good for his audience. That don't mean he's gonna work and go good with my regular audience, you know. Um, but right. he brings his own people that love him and love what he does, and he's very good at what he does, you know. Um, so, so the guy that, that that brings his own audience does he? Is he more desirable? Is he more profitable? Does he, that guy ultimately make more money when you can bring your own audience? Or who's the what's the yes, path in this of industry, financial? In this industry, if you're a draw, you make more money. It's all about being a right. draw. You can be the funniest comic in the world. Stand ovations, people going crazy for you. It's not till you're able to put butts in the seat that this industry is going to really respect you to no end. Oh yeah, that's a that's a good point, man. Because you know. Nothing wrong with being funny, and you can be funny. You know, you can be a great basketball player and be, you know, I, there's people in the church choir that sing better than, than the Rihanna, right? But she's the one right. with the million dollars contract and hitting and making all the hits, you know? <laughs> so, uh, you know, the business is like that, though. You know, there's a lot of funny guys out here that would never, ever make it. Not even to the point where they're working comic. Because they just don't have good business sense. But yeah, putting your butts in the seats, man. That's what it's all about, man. And, and you only get to that point through major television appearances or through major promotion. I mean, there's guys who are YouTube stars that I can tell you, I can mention their name right now, and you probably never heard of them. They're just selling out comedy clubs because they're big on YouTube. Or there's guys on Twitter who are selling out comedy clubs right now. And selling out other venues because they're big on Twitter, but you never heard of them before. There's guys, there's bands on MySpace, and yes, MySpace is still around. <laughs> there's bands on MySpace that have major followings that sell out clubs around the country because of their following. So you don't always have to be a household name to be uh, sure. a, a successful artist. Yeah, you got your household names, but there's lots of guys. You go out to Vegas and drive down the Vegas Strip. And walking through some of these casinos, and you'll see guys you never heard of before making a couple million dollars a year performing weekly in Vegas. And you go, who the hell is that? You know, <laughs> but these guys are working and they're making a few million dollars a year. Uh, you know, I had a comic friend of mine years ago. He goes, I make uh, what he said. He made four hundred fifty thousand dollars a year 
And he goes, I'm not a star, but I make $450,000 a year. And I go, wow. And, you know, like I said, I won't mention his name, but he's making $450,000 a year, you know, and wasn't a celebrity at all, you know. And, and, and uh, how, how did he do that? Because he just built a following and he built he built people would come see him. So. He was a college, he was a cessation only at the universities for one. He, and then he built a following overseas. Over, he, was big, big, he got big over, he became really big over in Australia. Believe it or not, he went over there and selling out places over there. And then, because uh, there's more markets than the United States. I mean, you know, artists work everywhere. I mean, the world is, is yours. You know, the world is ours. You know, uh, so um, you can perform anywhere. You know, I mean, a lot of singers will tell you that. I mean, how many singers are big over in Europe, you know, that you don't know about that are, you know, that are making big money? Sure. American artists, a lot of American artists still can go over to Europe and sell out but can't sell 20 tickets here, you know? Right? So, I mean, I mean, guys who had, because we're all about hit, you know, hit people here, it's about, you know, Americans are stuck on who has a hit song, you know. <laughs> so, right. uh, well, that, remember, that, that joke people made, I'm, we're huge in Japan, right? You know, I'm huge right. in Japan, or I'm huge in. Yeah. I remember a quick, quick story. James Brown was performing in D.C. And uh, the Ninth Big Club, I think, holds about maybe 400 seats. And uh-huh. the Rolling Stones were about six miles down the road, same night performing at the stadium, you know. And it just goes to show, you know, James Brown, as great as he was, was working a 400-seat room, and the Rolling Stones, as great as they are, were performing in a freaking stadium that holds 70,000 people, you know, uh-huh. because African-Americans only support you if you got a hit song. <laughs> the Rolling Stones... Right. Haven't had a hit song in 30 years, but people still come out and see them, their fan base, you know, by the thousands. You know, and that's the difference, you know, because if you're African-American, if you don't have a hit song, you know, you know, a lot of times, hey, you ain't got a hit song, you know. <laughs> and, you know, people, guys, people don't Stones, remember. Yeah, Rolling Stones and Kiss are still selling out venues, and they haven't had hits in years, but they still sell out stadiums, you know. But, you know, let, let, uh, let, let somebody like uh, Rihanna don't have a hit song in 10 years and see if she could sell out a stadium. It ain't going to happen. Right. <laughs> you know, well, let Beyonce that's, a, that's have, a good point, man. Yeah. Let Beyonce not have a hit song in 15 years and see if she could sell out a stadium. It's not going to happen, you know, but <laughs> trust me, 10 years from now, Adele's still going to sell out a stadium. It's just, I don't know. I, I can't put my finger on that, <laughs> but it's, you know, that's just the way. <laughs> so, I can go for you can talk to me for three I, I know you can, and I think I think we got a plan. We got a plan part number two because there's a lot I still want to ask you about. But we're we're kind of running up against the the end of our time here. But tell me this, man, just as a final shot, you know, if you were going to give you know a couple parting words of advice to to comedians who want to build a business, who want to make a living, who want to build a fan base or get booked or or become you know get their art right, get their art and the things they create out in front of a broader audience. I mean, What's the final thing you'd tell them, man? What's the thing you'd say? Hey, if I could tell you one thing, this is what I would tell you to do. Uh, number one, be good at your craft because the competition out here is fierce. I mean, everybody is – there's some really good talent out here. And so have something to offer the industry. Try to be unique. You know, don't do what everybody else is doing, you know. Uh, it's already been done, you know. Uh, look, I'm not the first comedy magician guy. I'm not the first guy to juggle a chainsaw. It was done before me. But the way I do it is Kevin Lee's way. So um, try to be you, that's all, you know, and try to bring something unique to the industry that the industry is going to take notice of, you know. Uh, that's all. That's my best advice, you know. I mean, just try to be – don't try to be Eddie Murphy. Don't try to be Martin Lawrence. Don't try to be Seinfeld. They've already been there, and they've already eaten well from their talent. So you got to be the new Joe Blow, you know. you got to be that new guy, you know. So that's the first thing is, is try to bring something unique to the table and be good at your craft. You know, if you're a comic, be, be a funny comic, you know, but be a unique comic. Be different than Chris Tucker. Be different than, than whatever you may have seen on TV. Use that inspiration and let them inspire you, but try to be different, you know. And that's my first advice. And second, learn the business. Get some books, read, you know, study the business. Listen to uh, podcasts and, and interviews like what Benny's bringing you. 
so you can learn, you know, and, and so you learn the industry, listen to the pros, listen to the guys who have been through the, through it, man. I've been through it, man. I mean, I've lived in the backseat of my car trying to make it in this business. I've been, I've been everywhere, man. I've, I've stayed in five-star hotels. I've traveled the world. I've made a lot of money. I've mingled with the stars. I know this industry, but then I also know I have plenty of battle scars, man. It ain't all fun and games, you know, and you have to have some love, man. You have to really love the industry because it's going to be hard. You're going to get beat up on. You're going to get beat up on big time, and you got to better take it. You know, this is not for a week. Being in this comedy industry is not for the week. <laughs> if you're weak, it's not for you. And the only thing going to get you through is your true love and your true faith in yourself. So you have to really believe that you have something to offer this industry and go for it, man. And be ready to be stomped on because you will get stomped on. It's <laughs> just the way the industry is. I don't have an answer for it. That's just the way it is. Um, but, you know, every once in a while, somebody comes along and don't get stomped on. They become a major star overnight. And that's just, you know. <laughs> that's, that's, that that's happens too, right? <laughs> that happens too, man. I, I know some man. cats, man, just roll into stardom real quickly, man. But these two, these guys, too, that did that ended up having problems because this, you know, they end up, I, I mentioned names again, but I know some guys that went straight from being open micers almost to basically being celebrities. And, and, and then, you know, they weren't ready for everything that was thrown at them. And they ended up having some issues, you know, drugs and things like that, you know? So, I mean, it's a tough business, man, but, you know, stay grounded, do your homework and uh, study the greats and, and, and learn from the road comics. Don't be afraid to ask some guy in the club for advice. If you think he's a veteran, most veterans don't mind giving advice. The problem is a lot of young guys think they know everything already, so they don't want advice. But, yeah, man, try to get some advice from the veterans, man, who've been there, done that, and um, try to be unique and bring something different to the table. And, and I think the club owners will. And, and most important thing, man, I got to tell guys this that's listening to it, especially the young cats, man. If you don't have to be dirty, don't be dirty. You eat a lot more places as a comedian if you can work clean. I know that's hard pill to swallow, for a lot of guys, but it, it's good medicine, man. Listen to me. You know, I mean, this guy's on cruise ships making a killing financially, traveling the world and being paid very handsomely because they're able to work clean for 90 minutes, you know, uh, and go through a, a, a comedy show about saying fuck 30 times, you know, so, mm -hmm. you know, or, or talking about their generals or whatever, you know. So working clean benefits you, you know, uh, trust me, you know, I do a lot of corporate shows, uh, corporate things, and I work on cruise ships, and I do a lot of venues that I would never get in if I was a dirty comic. And I can be dirty. You know, I'm working the Bogota coming up. I will be clean on that five nights at the Bogota. But when I get to the comedy club on that weekend, I'm going to be dirty. <laughs> you know, I can do both. <laughs> trust me, I can do both. But the Bogota requires you to be clean for that fat paycheck. They want clean comics. That show is going to be clean. When I get to the comedy club on Saturday night, I can go on stage and drop 100 F-bombs. It don't matter. But so keep that in mind uh, also. That's an important point. Keep that in mind when you're putting your show, show together. Work right clean. You can always add dirty, but right clean, because right and clean is, is so important uh, right now. And if you're a dirty comic, and you're never going to get on television. Not on Jimmy Fallon or not on Tonight's Show or not on Conan or none of these shows. How are you going to get on? You're a dirty comic. They can't put you on TV. And you don't get on TV, most likely, unless you're some overnight sensation on, on, on social media or something like Twitter, you're not going to 